few weeks, um, Pastor Ben's been home in on a theme of pursuing God, and we're going to continue that this morning. So, let's see if we can get this to work. Is that right? Okay, turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus speaking says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you as well. Let's just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for those words. We thank you, Lord, that, that you tell us that, that if we seek you first, that all these things will be added. Lord, that you will take care of us that you look after us and you know what's best for us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Just prior to th uh, this, uh, these words, Jesus was talking to his followers about not being concerned about material things such as food and clothing and things like that because God will provide these things. And earlier on in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talked about not pursuing wealth and possessions before God. This means that if anyone places the pursuit of the kingdom of God first, then all the material things um, that we need will follow and without any need for worry or anxiety. Now, we do have needs in life. There are things we need. Um, I'm assuming just about everybody's heard of a thing called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, where the most basic needs are things like food, clothing, shelter, protection and things like that. And God knows that we need that stuff. He says your father knows that you need all these things. So we do have legitimate needs in the world and it's not wrong to want to be provided for and especially not wrong to care for our own family and God commands us to do that. But we can really only focus on one primary thing. We can only have one master. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 31 to 32, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So he, he knows that we need this, state, this stuff. But Jesus says those material things are what most people tend to focus on. And he doesn't deny that we need those things, but because we only have one master in life, he said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. In other words, he's saying, focus on the main thing. Focus on the number one thing and your needs will be taken care of. Now, it's like in the military. We, we all know that in the military, the government takes care of the material needs, food, clothing, shelter, weaponry, tools, vehicles, all those things. So that personnel in the Army, Navy and Air Force don't have to focus on that. Their concern is to follow orders, obey orders and protect the country. The government knows all these other needs that they have. They know they need food, clothing, drink, shelter in order to do that. And so the government provides those things. And that's the context in which Jesus spoke the words. He knew that only one thing can really drive in our life. He wants that to be God and his kingdom, not material things. So he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
That's the context of the general meaning of this verse. The emphasis on the verb seek makes it clear that pursuing God is not a passive act. It's a deliberate and conscientious act on our behalf. Now, a few scriptures. In Exodus 21, 4, and God spoke these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Isaiah 55, 6-9 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my way, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And also Job 8, 5 to 6. But if you will seek God earnestly and plead with the Almighty, if you are pure and upright, and even now he will rouse himself on your behalf and restore to you your prosperous state. There's lots of other verses that communicate similar messages. Lots of them. So there, in the Bible there is no ambiguity at all about the importance of putting God first in our lives. In quite a bit of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking about worry, that we should not worry because it doesn't do us any good. In fact, it takes our focus off the Lord because we can only focus on him or the worry, not both. We can't serve two masters. Either Jesus or the worry is going to be our master. Who's ever tried to concentrate on something when you're overwhelmed by something else? Can you do it? Who's ever tried to, to do a job or go to work and you just can't concentrate because there is just something there in the way. There is just something taking you away from what we should be doing. We can't do that. If we become distracted by something that takes us away from God, it's very difficult to pursue God. It takes a conscious choice to direct our heart towards God. Paul prays for the church in 2 Thessalonians 3.5. He says, May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. It's a conscious effort on our part, but that effort to pursue God is available to everybody. We all have that in us. God's put that in us. We have that ability. But we need to activate that. We need to make sure that God is number one. We need to pursue God so that he is the number one item in our lives. We don't make this mental and emotional effort to pursue God because he's lost. That's how we would pursue a coin or a sock. Who knows that socks seem to separate? You know, you always end up with one odd one. I've got a drawer full of them. Or, or car keys. Yeah, or glasses. I mean, how often have I looked for my glasses and where are they? Right here. Done that before. Sometimes, I'm probably the only one that does this, but sometimes when I'm doing a job or I put a tool down when I'm doing a job and I forget where I put it, what does my focus change to? Where did I put that tool? You have to stop concentrating on what the job you're doing and go looking for the tool. Or what about this one? 
I'm the only one that does this, of course. What about when I have to start a job and I've got to go and look for a part or a tool? I can't remember where I put it. I can't start the job without it. And sometimes I spend more time looking for that than I do do to the job. The job's a five-minute job and it takes you three hours to find the tools to do it. Anyone ever done that? I'm the only one, of course. So what do I turn my attention to? Not the job at hand. I turn my attention to the distraction of having to find something else. God is not lost. He did not forget where he lives. He did not leave his tools somewhere and forget where. His name is not Mal. <laughs> he did not forget his mobile phone or his GPS. God doesn't have to worry about things like that. But for us, there's always an obstacle. There's always a distraction. There's always something to go through or around or over or under to be able to meet him consciously. Now, married couples, who goes shopping together? No? Okay, well, I'll pray for you later. <laughs> Sometimes Monica and I might go to Bunnings or Westlakes or somewhere like that to go shopping. And there might be something she's looking for and something different that I'm looking for. So we just go our separate ways and we say, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll meet you. I'll come and find you. That's a good one. And it's usually me having to go and find her. Now, who knows when you're in a supermarket or Bunnings or, or even just Westlakes or something like that and you could see something up ahead. And this is what happens to me. I see Monica up ahead and she's 50 or so metres up ahead. And so I've got to start ducking and weaving around all these people and they all come towards you and they're all getting in your way with their trolleys. And you've got to duck and weave around them. And then, and then, and this is, happens in the supermarket. And then somebody stops with their trolley in the middle of the aisle. They leave their trolley in the middle and they go over to the shelf. And you can't get around. And, and so you try to go around this way. And someone's coming the other way. And Monica is 20 metres in front of me. And I have to stop navigate that and I look up and she's gone. <laughs> Where is she? Which way did she go? And I get to the end of the aisle. No? Which way did she go? I'll go this way. So I go down the No, she's not down here. Go right to the end of the shop and she's not there. Oh, she must have gone the other way. Back. And guess what? You bump into somebody else that gets in your way. And so it takes quite a while to find her. Isn't life sometimes like that, where we want to pursue God and something gets in the way? Something distracts us, something stops us. It seems that going through or around and pursuing God, it seems like that he's often hidden or we see him and something gets in the way and then we can't find him. It seems like he's veiled. We must go looking for him through prayer and devotion and around distractions. But he's not hiding from us. He's not playing hide and seek. But he does want us to actively pursue him. God calls us to enjoy his continuous... Sorry. God calls us to enjoy continual consciousness of his supreme greatness and beauty and worth. I read that somewhere. I can't remember where. But I thought that's profound. He wants us to enjoy continuous consciousness of his supreme greatness 
and beauty and worth. Where can we see God? Well, his creation is telling of his glory. Every time we see something in creation, that's God's glory. We can seek him through that. He reveals himself in his word, so we can seek him through that. He shows himself to us in the evidence of grace in other people, so we can seek him through that. So pursuing God is a conscious effort to get through the natural means to God himself, to constantly set our minds toward God in all our experiences and direct our minds and hearts towards him through the means of his revelation. That's what pursuing God means. Colossians 3, 3.2 says, Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. There are endless obstacles we must go around in order to see him clearly and so that we can be in his presence. So we must set our hearts on them and our minds on the things above and flee from spiritually dulling activities. We must run from them and get around them. They're blocking our way, just like the people in the supermarket that get in my way. We know what makes us vitally sensitive to God's appearance in the world and in the word. And we also know what dulls and blinds us and makes us not even want to seek God. That's what pursuing involves. So how do we avoid the things that would distract us? How do we flee from spiritually, spiritually dulling activities? James 4, 7 and 8 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I once heard an old preacher explain the, word, the term double-minded. What it means is simply doubt. God wants us to be in no doubt about him whatsoever. Now you might remember last week Pastor Ben shared about Stephen Covey who wrote several books, one of which being First Things, or First Things First, I think it was, First Things First. And Pastor Ben shared about how Stephen Covey demonstrated the jar of life. You might remember he said about uh, asking a, a group of students about a jar with some rocks in it. Is the jar full? And some of them said yes. So then he got some gravel and he poured the gravel in and they suddenly realised, no, the jar is not full. So he said, well, what else can we do? So then he got some sand and he poured in there. Is the jar full? No, we can still fit more in. What can we fit in? Well, we'll put water in there. Is the jar now full? And they all said yes. Now, I remember um, many years ago when I was a teenager, I remember Professor Julius Sumner Miller demonstrating that on TV. You remember J Julius Sumner Miller? Why is it so? And he made it, Professor Sumner Miller made an interesting statement when he, when he did the demonstration. He said, the order in which the jar is filled is paramount. So, if we're putting rocks in a jar, what should the biggest rock in life be? Well, let's have a look. Jesus said, what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. 
And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, Peter still put his foot in it even after this dialogue with Jesus took place. He still did some dumb things. So the rock was not Peter, not at all. It was the revelation that Peter had regarding who Jesus is. Here's a question. Do we have that same revelation in our lives? Pastor Ben said that if the rocks don't go into the jar first, they will not fit. Now, let me suggest one step further. If the biggest rock of all does not go in the jar first of all, it will not fit in at all. So here's a few questions to ponder. What is the order in which each of our jars have been filled? What is the biggest rock of all in your life? Is it the rock that Jesus referred to with Peter? And if it's not, what is it? Is it the revelation of who Jesus is or is it something else? If it is something else, if the biggest rock in your life is something else other than the revelation of who Jesus is, what needs to happen to that something else and what are you going to do about it? It's never too late to get in touch with God it's never too late to seek him first. He promises to take care of us when we put him first in our lives. God wants to have a close relationship with every one of us. You, me, everyone. In Matthew 10, 29 and 31, the 31 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even if even the very hairs on your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid, you're worth more than many sparrows. Each of us is worth more than many sparrows, but Jesus even cared about the sparrows. He cares about how many hairs are on your head. So if he cares about stuff like that, how much more does he care about you? But there's a condition to that, is, and that is we must put him first. We must seek first the kingdom of God we must pursue God he's waiting for us to do that he's not running away from us but he wants us to actively pursue him he wants us to make him the priority in our lives and he's very clear about that in many scriptures in the Bible I wonder if we could all bow our heads and I'm going to pray and I want you to do business with God this morning I want you to pursue him. I want you to ask him how he wants you to set your life up. I want you to ask him to reveal to you things that you might need to go around or over or under or through to put him first in your life. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do want us to pursue you. We thank you that you want us to put you number one in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you take care of us. And Lord, I just pray now for each and every person here 
that, Lord, you might be working on their lives, that you might be indicating to them areas that they need to tidy up to get you number one, to put you in first place in their lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.